Nine long, long, oh so long years ago, 42 to Doomsday was born. In the fury of that creative inferno, Mark and I swore we would never, ever, ever review anything to do with Doctor Who. And this episode, where we don't review the power of the Doctor, is definitely not a review. But if it was a review, it would sound something like this. And now let's introduce our guest. You came in your thousands to watch him live on stage in his critically admired Who Me. He's rocked the Melbourne Fringe Festival, dodged serial killers at the Adelaide Fringe Festival, ripped it up on television and trod the boards like a younger, more dynamic Olivier. We are joined tonight to help us not review the power of the Doctor. That's right. It is writer, producer and actor Rob Lloyd coming this November with a show celebrating the 30th anniversary of that hit Australian comedy experience, The Late Show. Hello and welcome, Rob. It is a pleasure to be back, gentlemen. It is a pleasure to be back with the grumpiest Doctor Who fans in Australia. Oh, I've missed the bile. I've missed the spite. I've missed the vinegar. You talk about Rob there, right? <laughs> let's not forget the bath of hydrochloric acid that is Mark. Body is ready to be bathed in your bile, boys. Oh, uh, <laughs> the dog vomited yesterday. If it's anything like that, I'm running for the hills. Actually, mine vomited too, actually. This is why podcasting is uh, the, the highbrow level of entertainment. The cutting edge, edge of uh, entertainment, that's right. We've all come off the uh, rousing experience of this very good his last story, so we're going to be diving into that uh, this episode, aren't we, Mark? Not reviewing, but it may sound like a review. We'll have a chat about, obviously, the story, and then there's been some developments overnight. We'll have a bit of a chat about that as well. So just basically, it's a chat about Doctor Who stuff without really reviewing the episode. <laughs> People will probably no doubt know the power of the Doctor uh, screened, uh, well, as of today, 48 hours ago. The internet lost its, as they say, shit for a number of reasons, of course. Rob, what were your impressions or at least first impressions of the story? Well, unlike uh, our famous moment a couple of years ago where I was brought on to bring the light to the darkness when it was talking about the timeless uh, children where I actually joined in in uh, the darkness and reveled in the bile. I'm here to be brought in to bring the balance to this chat, not review. And yeah, I'm more than happy to embrace the positive side. I actually had a great time with it. I loved all the fan service nods. I forgave a lot of the things that other fans don't seem to be wanting to forgive, despite the fact that you can find literally throughout all of Doctor Who history stories with as many plot holes as this did. It has not been my favourite era of Doctor Who. I was coming into this kind of very disheartened. I was kind of not looking forward to it all. I was kind of going whatever. Maybe because my expectations were so, so low, um, I enjoy it a lot more because I'm there going, well, it wasn't as bad as I expected, but I am aware of the fact that a lot of people aren't happy. But from what I could see, I loved everything that they did in it. I loved the celebration that it was. I loved the fact that people from the past of Doctor Who had their moment in the sun that they didn't really get much of a chance to do sort of like in the 50th. So for me, that was a, a real treat. Um, and sometimes it's good to have a tip of the hat to the past before we completely evolve into nothing but moving forward within the 60th anniversary in some way, shape or form. You mentioned you went in with very low expectations. It was obviously better than the Legend of the Sea Devils episode. I enjoyed the Legend of the Sea Devils for what it was. I enjoyed oh. Eve the Daleks as well. Um, yeah. I was thoroughly disappointed with pretty much all of the flux, or sorry, the flux. I enjoyed the Centauran one and there were elements of the Weeping Angels episode that were pretty good. So I was pleasantly surprised with some stuff. What I was hoping for with the Chibnall era was that fast-paced, frantic, bombastic blockbuster type of approach to who like he showed in dinosaurs on a spaceship it hasn't been that at all so when there's elements of that i kind of i'm a bit more forgiving it's been a, a what five years six year tenure of missed opportunities and no real cohesion it has been a disappointing time 
time. So to have moments where the doctor was actually being the doctor and saving the day uh, and having moments of victory laps of people who've contributed to who in the past and getting their time to shine was for me something joyous as opposed to the last six years, which has been, you know, I wasn't there during the decline of who in the eighties, but I've seen enough of it and I've spoken to people who were there. So I don't know how it compares personally because I wasn't a part of it, but this definitely the last five years has felt like the most toxic fandom has been in a long time. And it's been really sad and really disappointing. So to have for me, you know, an hour and a half of just joy and positivity and celebration, embracing the new and the old and the present was a relief for some people, they were just, Shibnall had gone too far or Whitaker hadn't done enough. And so there was no way that anything that they did could have brought any sense of happiness or acceptance. And that's fine. Mm. And people are just ready to move on and start anew. Um, mm. But for me, who's had an up and down relationship and I've been fighting harder than a lot of other people to sort of like really sort of like almost willing it, willing the Whitaker Chudnall era to be a consistent good machine. And I've been let down so many times. So I'm not coming into it saying it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm not saying it's absolutely amazing, but I'm saying there was enough in there for me to have had a good time and for me to have had a bit of a cheer, had a bit of a smile and even have a little bit of a tear at some point. So what about when you saw, um, <coughs> spoilers, the uh, 14th Doctor? Uh, <laughs> do you remember you weren't a big fan of Davy T's Doctor at the time? Seeing him back again with a more interesting hairstyle, what reaction did you get from that? I've been so much in tuned as we all have really all hardcore fans have been there when the news has slipped or when the the on-location photos have been spread and everyone's been analysing it and over-analysing it and breaking it down and trying to find any meaning to it. And I'm one of those people as well. So I wasn't uh, surprised. I was kind of expecting it. I, I was there going, well, when they started filming, Shooty was still, because, you know, knowing the inside stuff of how shows are being done, I'm there going, well, I know Shooty's still shooting the latest season of uh, Sex Education, so he won't be free um, for quite some time. So only seeing Tenet, I'm there going, well, this must be it. And so when Jody did regenerate into to uh, David Tennant, the 14th Doctor, as BBC announced, I wasn't surprised. I was kind of look, expecting it. But I was surprised when they did the little teaser trailer at mm. the end of it that you had to sort of like find on YouTube. Yeah. Um, that that shooting was there. That So he has started shooting stuff and some mm. of that stuff will, I assume, be included in. So whether it's sort of like flashbacks and so or jumping forward in time or whether he will just up here at the end of the three specials. That's the type of stuff I'm looking forward to figuring out. But to actually see a little glimpse of him in in character, in sort of like what looks like the remains of the 14th Doctor's shirt and tie with the Tash, which I'm a, I'm a fan of. There's a whole mind process I'm going through of do I accept the Tash, do I not accept the Tash? Just think you Eddie know. Murphy, mate. <laughs> think of Eddie Murphy. Think yeah. a little bit of Peter Cushing as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm intrigued to so see where they go with it. I'm not the biggest Tennant Doctor fan. I appreciate mm. Tennant as an actor. He's done some incredible stuff. I love his work in Good Omens and Blackpool and stuff like that. I'm still hopeful that you know other modern Doctors will be there in some way, shape, or form. I'd love to see Mr. Smith come back because I've only been watching him recently being a violent, aggressive bastard in uh, House of Dragons. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. Which he's doing incredibly well in. He's holding that show up, isn't he, really? Him and Paddy. Yeah, Paddy and, and him have been holding that mm. show together. Even though there's been quite a bit of pushback from him, I do hope in some way, shape, or form we get a little bit of capacity because we love the man. The highlight for me was for the whole thing was just which really teared me up was the concept of the former companions help group. I absolutely adore that. I thought it was a cute idea and it was beautifully put together. Mm. And just to, cause they kind of dealt with that with the Russell T era with uh, love and monsters with the Linda group, which was you know, a bit of a schmozzle from a schmozzle story, but to have the likes of William Russell there with Bradley Walsh and Bonnie Langford there with, Madib Gill. And for me as a fan, I like that concept of former companions being there for each other because they kind of touched on that in the Sarah Jane 
adventures when Katie Manning appeared in The Death of the Doctor and Sarah Jane does that beautiful speech about going, I have looked into it. And there's, you know, uh, a story of Ben and Polly who, who run an adoption uh, agency and, and there's a Tegan Dravanka helping uh, Aboriginal communities in, in Australia. And there's, uh, oh, there's uh, a charitable earth run by Dorothy and, and then there's uh, uh, Ian and Barbara who apparently have never aged. That type of cute mythology stuff I love about because we've lost Adric and companions. It's a big, dangerous universe out there when you travel with the Doctor. So to have that sense of companions having each other, this is me getting very nerdy. I like the idea of them being there to support each other, which I think is really cute. Except Adric, who's in pieces. Is in pieces. And let's just have the credits roll in silence. All right. Now, Mark. Yes. I sense that you may be uh, the yang to Rob's ying. So, uh, <laughs> As I said before, I'm going to be the Fox News to his uh, The Age review of this. <laughs> um, I'm calling the episode The Powder of the Doctor because if you breathe on the plot, it will just quickly turn to dust. <laughs> but look, let's start with the positives first. And like you, Rob, I love the kisses to the past. It was great to see Ace and Tegan again and the old Doctors again. I hate Tegan. Tegan as a character is so annoying, but I love having uh, Janet Fielding back. Yeah, went, was, this is great. It was really good. Actually, I really enjoyed the concept of you know, the Guardians of the Edge. Of course, it was all you know, sort of borrowed from uh, Mr. Cornell, who um, is still blocked us on Twitter, Rob. I don't know whether you know about this. <laughs> I'm um, wondering who else has blocked you since I last was here. It's in their thousands. <laughs> Obviously, to see the old doctors again, I thought David Bradley was actually really good as Hartnell, better in this than what he was in Twice Upon a Time. So maybe he's actually finally had a chance to watch an episode of the Aztecs, maybe just to get a sense of the actual character. <laughs> Paul McGann, oh. give that man a bloody show. We've been saying it since 2013. He doesn't age at all. It gets hotter and hotter, seriously. <laughs> Yeah, 62 years old, mate. He's uh, 63, Mark. Is he really? Apparently so. We might touch on him again in the, uh, in, the, in the next segment of where the show goes uh, sure. under Bad Wolf, etc. But uh, sure. yeah, carry on. And seeing with, with the Fifth Doctor and Tegan and uh, McCoy and Aldred. Now, Fifth Doctor and Tegan was nice, but I actually choked up a little bit when I saw McCoy and Aldred together. And I hated their era, era at the time. I don't know what was wrong with me. I've actually come to accept their era a lot more since the, the intervening years. Especially because, and you know all this stuff, obviously, being a fan, like just how the two of them work as a team, not only on screen, but off screen, and the amount of cons they've done together, all the yeah. interviews, the two of them are just an incredible team so to finally yeah. have that you know yeah. the tenderness between the two of them as human beings not just yeah. as characters was yeah. choked me up as well you mentioned the, the companions help group lovely to see them all again you sort of knew katie manning was there because when um graham was talking just hear katie's laugh about you can hear that laugh away. can't you can, yeah. into you. Yes. william russell i would have loved to have heard more lines from him yeah um those bits were fantastic obviously the fan kisses were great but there's a few negative issues I have with the story. So let's go through them. And Dan was given the best exit of a companion since Dodo, I felt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he was there and then he was gone. I think he went to see his auntie in the country and, and sort of convalesce. So uh, that was a bit of a, oh, he's gone because I quite like Dan. Dan let the door hit you on, on the way out, unfortunately. But yeah, look, he came back at the end. But I just thought it was a bit strange to have sort of Dan there for a minute. And then uh, it was all get a bit too hard. I'll just go home, thanks. And off he goes. Mark, um, don't you think that that was a tacit admission by Jignal that perhaps there were too many people in the TARDIS? <laughs> well, I would have definitely got rid of Yaz, but apparently not. Definitely she needed to go and see somebody in the country. Let's talk about the next bit. The Caesar Romero of Masters, wow. Sasha Darwin. <laughs> Again, he continues to feast on ham and uh, chewing the furniture. I was hoping after being involved in the uh, Doctor Who behind the sofa on the season eight box set that he actually looked at some... Well, he watched it while he was doing behind the sofa and it's really interesting because there's moments when he's watching Delgado in that season and there's moments where he's turning to his wife and he's there going oh he's doing it rather he's doing this subtle version of it and I'm screaming at the screen going yes you know that word subtle maybe you should have used that in yeah. your performance it's just absolutely awful and oh look as Rasputin actually thought he wasn't too bad, he still started doing the dancing to Boney M. But however, I, the dance went on for a bit too long and it reminded me a little bit of Last of the Time Lord. With yeah. uh, John Sim uh, yeah, dancing yeah. to uh, Scissor Sisters. Direct rip off of that. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the plot was this, why build the planet to power that bloody machine if all he needed to do was just shoot a couple of sub and get the same energy output? Um, mm. Wouldn't the master be better to select the previous Doctor's form? 
as opposed to making the doctor look like him because they're going to say, well, actually, not the doctor, mate. You'll still look like the master. They're jumping around from here, there, and everywhere. And I just looked out for the fan wank at the, at the end of it. <laughs> and here's the thing with Jodie Whittaker. So when she regenerated, I actually didn't feel much at all. I haven't really had that emotional attachment. It's yet. an interesting thing. And I've talked about this a lot in my reviews of it on my Facebook page. And I've talked about it a bit here as well. Um, yeah, Jodie's interpretation of the doctor is there's this always is this emotional distance. Um, and it's, it seems she's playing the doctor as almost like, like a child and a child who wants to avoid emotional responsibility. And so when she has, is confronted by complex human emotions about grief and pain and outrage, the doctor runs away from it. The doctor has always had elements of that and it's been handled better by other actors uh, where here it just comes across as frustrating and annoying and irritating and quite immature mm. so there was that sense of Whitaker's doctor never really evolved never grew out of that or never changed they they've stayed consistent the entire time that's for me her performance has been consistent as in there's not been incredible highs but there's also not been incredibly terrible lows she's been um she's been there she's been there yeah. and so that gets to that moment there were beautiful things set up so i like the fact that she regenerated out of the tardis for the first yeah, time that was in the modern season yeah and with the sunset i like that concept of i want to see the sun before i go i love her final line as opposed to i don't want to go which <laughs> clearly he didn't want to go and he's doing everything in his power to frigging come back um, <laughs> i love that moment of tag you're it which is very much just embodies the childish immature and um, you know emotionally distant 13th doctor because she was so emotionally distant that left us wanting more and so i never really felt a, a deep pull towards her as the doctor which is a shame i mean when i was watching it i was going okay bye like i wasn't you know baying for blood and that's just like thank god she's gone it's like okay well you know it was very nice uh, yeah you know. And I think, Rob, your comment about the doctor, this doctor not taking responsibility as such um, points to a really big missed opportunity amongst a lot of missed opportunities with the series. I mean, if, if Chibnall had picked up on that aspect of Whitaker's portrayal and, and actually been a bit more consistent, you could have had a regeneration story where the doctor faces the consequences of not taking responsibility for what they've done. Exactly. And, 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 and in paying that price, bringing probably more emotional heft to you know her final moments in the series, but um, I think a, a lot of this particular one of the things about this particular era that I think people will pick up on and, and discuss uh, well into the future is that Chibnall make a made a made a choice, a conscious choice, not to you know have a grand plan, have a have a you know an overriding story arc uh, in terms of plot, story, and character, um, mm. and I think. I mean, you can applaud after the Moffat era where it was just arc central, <laughs> you, you can understand his impulse to, to, you know, strip it all back, just give us a series of stories with, you know, with our, with our main characters. But I think you are missing, he missed a, a really good chance there to, to do something more impactful, I think, across the entire, you know, five years that Whitaker was in the role. Exactly. I mean, I found it as a brave move and one I actually appreciated that after Moffat's, like you said, arch, arc approach for that first season of Jodie's to be nothing. It's like no mention of, like not even using the word Gallifrey or Time Lord. It was just this person traveling through time with complete strangers. And I like that stripping it right back to this small little story, which it kind of, that's what Doctor Who was to begin with. It was, it was a small, quaint little show before it became all the bombasticness of Russell T and Moffat. But then, yeah, he reset everything with the start of his second season and went, oh no, we'll bring in the continuity that I want. I'll get rid of Gallifrey again. I'll get rid of Unit. Do all these type of things for overcompensating with too much arc and continuity stuff and then resetting again with the flux and then resetting again and resetting again so like you said no consistency no real oh. forward vision i mean even russell t has said he had no real vision at the start he was finding it as he goes in season one but because he's 
a better writer and a better structure of stories. He learned from his first season and then refined it for his second, third, and fourth. You could say the same for, for Moffat as well. Moffat took a bit of time finding his place as a showrunner as opposed to a writer for hire. But um, Chibnall's definitely stumbled more than uh, any of the other modern showrunners, definitely. I'm puzzled by that because it's not as if he's, you know, sort of a, a lost soul who's wandered in off the street and showrunner's <laughs> office with a laptop in front of him. He's produced his own acclaimed TV series and he's, he's been writing for you know, a long, long time. And to not have a through line or even the strength of his own convictions, if you're going to go with a stripped down first series, I wonder what motivated him to then backpedal and, and go continuity heavy. And then right at the very end of his era, I mean, I know the 60th anniversary is, is, is the impetus for the returning past doctors, but as Mark said, the kisses to the past, it was full on French kissing, you know, tons everywhere. You could see every single scene was a reference to something else. So it was yes. either the nod to the the master dancing to you know a hit song whether it's creating a whole planet whether it's you know the the kisses to the past of companions you could pick it from every classic story or for every modern story there was nothing in a way original there was all tributes to something else yeah and i think that when the when the book is written on this particular era i think it'll be a more fascinating uh, examination and read than of the moffat and, and first RTD is because the, the lack of consistency, the, the, the sort of the backpedaling, some of the story decisions and, and you know, the, the questions of quality uh, of some of the stories, I think it will make a really interesting look as to why what happened happened. But that's for, you know, the, the, the next incarnation of Andrew Bixley, I think. It was never going to be fully answered because that's what is always something you can hide behind when you run Docker Who is going, oh, well, it's the mystery, it's the mystery. But because he threw in some massive rather disruptive continuity changes completely to the fact of the very foundation of who to say that the doctor isn't a time lord they're some sort of being from another dimension who can live forever and then just dropping that and they're going we've got this whole new doctor who's lost their memories and being used as a weapon and it's dropped and it wasn't a case of i never expected those to be answered yeah it was very much a case of all of that was dropped in any way, shape, or form. Like no acknowledgement of it at all, even within his final moments to go. That's some sort of nod to it or some sort of just putting a pin in it as opposed mm. to a full resolution. No one expected that. So that was sort of like, again, I'll mix up the continuity more than any other showrunner has ever done in the history of the show. Oh, that failed completely. So I'll just drop it completely, which is a... Uh, very disappointing. I think that the Timeless Child references in the episode, from what I understand, were quite more heavy until TD started exercising them out. Just going back to the, the story a bit. So the last few end of era stories are focused on, you know, regeneration. So you'd obviously end a time he was dreading it, time of the Doctor. He had no more until right at the end. And then twice upon a time, he didn't want to do it. And I feel that the novel concept of regeneration and the process is just being used so much now. It's just becoming like a, it's just a bland superpower really now, isn't it? really mm. i mean people give j and t and say with rap for castrovalva and twin dilemma focusing on regeneration's gone wrong but surely this if, if you're going to do something do something better than what's being you know served up here but i just don't want them to keep doing the sort of regeneration this there and everywhere it just you don't need it yeah i think i yeah. think in the 17 years of the show being back there have been more regenerations than in the first 26 seasons the 70s two doctors in the 80s Three doctors. Since the show's come back, you've had three thousand seven hundred and forty-two, haven't you? I mean, well, it, is, it, it is also a different environment of of how people look uh, from an industry point of view. So back in this era of time, people stayed with shows longer. With the sixties era, they were only there for about three or so years, but they filmed like forty-two episodes a year. So it felt like that drained you and then drained Patrick Troughton and, and William Hartnell, obviously. When you get into the 70s, of course, you've got two of the longest-serving Doctors and longest seasons-wise, whereas once you get into that point now that who is established, even when uh, Peter Davison took the role, there was that already that establishment, like he spoke to in passing to Patrick Troughton and Troughton said to him, oh, do three years, I did three years and get out. And so that became this tradition and with the new series because who has had so much more exposure than it did have in especially the declining years of who in the 80s 
it became this case of it's a platform now for actors to move on. I mean, Eccleston never stayed with a TV show longer than a year. Three minutes, I think, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, like, well, like all his TV work, like he did Cracker for a season and season, a half. Yeah. Other TV shows he come in, I think he stayed with... He stayed with the A word for a little bit longer, obviously, because that's an emotional connection for him. But he was an actor who would just move from a TV job to TV job and would never settle down. And then, of course, it became this establishment of it's a big step for you in that career. And if you stay with a show longer than that three-year period, you miss out on other opportunities. Mm. And so that it's, it's developed within the modern era. The establishment is... You do your three years and you move on. So that's why we have so many more regenerations is because whether it's filmed over five years like the Whitaker era has or I think about six years for for the Matt Smith era and stuff like that, there is that establishment. And I don't think we'll ever get a doctor stay longer than three years ever again. You know, watching Tenet, his arm outstretched saying, I'm back, baby, I'm the saviour. Interesting to see where they take it. But uh, my conclusion on the episode was, it was an excellent episode of The Flash, but a very poor episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> what era of The Flash? Are we talking early years? Or are we talking now the declining years of The Flash? But of both, really. <laughs> I, I used to really enjoy watching it. Then they started throwing all the sort of wanky bloody power swapping shit and going, oh, Oh, yeah. it's just forget it. You know what I mean? So um, I thought it was really well shot, though, and looked very nice. Oh, and, look, uh, yeah. that opening shot of Sophie Aldred when she's looking at the blank space from behind, she looked like a friggin' movie star, and that camera t- pans around her, and she's just a boss. I'm going, give Sophie Aldred her own show. It's her time to to step into the spotlight and be the lead of her own you know, show so kids can just fall in love with Ace all over again. Uh, I'm not going to mention Yaz, but uh, a bit underwhelming, the exit, wasn't it, really? But um, anyway, enough of me talking. Over to my other Rob. Hello. Yes, it's me. Well, coming into this, I had intimations of catastrophe. I wasn't looking forward to what was going to come up on the screen. I'd seen parts of Legends of the Sea Devils and I, I couldn't stop vomiting. It was it just visually, it, I don't know. Look, I don't know what happened. It just, it just struck me as being a piece of fluff that had been cast off quickly and basically forgotten. I, I don't think many people remember much about it at all. But, so I wasn't looking forward to it and I was a bit down on the whole thing. But I was really surprised at how much I enjoyed it. The main reason you watch Doctor Who is to be entertained. And then this has got entertainment in spades. I mean, it looks fantastic. The director, Jamie Magnus Stone, did a fantastic job. And all the money that gets uh, poured into it, it looks, it looks beautiful. I mean, uh, the opening uh, shot of the, uh, the space train being boarded looked fantastic, a great piece of special effects. And, and, you know, on the cyber planet or the cyber moon, that looked amazing. I mean, hats off to the people who, who put that all together. In terms of the plot... I still don't quite understand why the master was in 2022 and 1916. <laughs> and I'm not 100% sure why the Solomon and the Daleks had come together. I, I think I understand that the Daleks wanted to destroy the Earth by setting off all those volcanoes and, okay, that's fine. But what the Solomon were getting out of it, I'm not entirely sure. There were missed opportunities in a sense in terms of when the Doctor and, and Yaz landed on that Solomon moon, the doctor said that you know it's something organic had been turned into a, a machine. I was thinking, was the moon alive before the Solomon got to it? I mean, that was just sort of a, a thrown-off idea. So yes, the plot is nonsense. I had a lot of fun with it. I, uh, unlike Mark, didn't mind um, uh, Sasha Dewan's performance uh, as the master. I, look, I agree that when he's in John Sim, you know, late RTD era mode, it's it's hard to stomach. But there were times during the performance, uh, his performance of Power of the Doctor, where there were those quieter moments where I, I got a sense of, I got a feel that this particular master was jealous of that particular doctor for whatever reason and, and wanted to steal something essential from them by taking, you know, they were missing it themselves. Um, so from that sort of, I don't know, character motivation, I thought that was really interesting. Um, like both of you and like a lot of fans, the, the you know, the, the kisses to the past were really... I think well done and affecting. I mean, you know, when the Guardians of the Edge, I didn't know anything about that, really, to be honest. And to see, um, you know, the, the area that there was a special effect, and I don't think the actors were necessarily all together all at once. But the way it was done, um, particularly again, um, I thought that that was really just a lot of fun. And it was great to see those actors come back. I, I always thought that they could have come back earlier in the new series run, but just to see them now, 
yes, they've been pulled along because of the other 100th anniversary of the BBC. Uh, that was great. I've, and, you know, Paul McGann constantly does so much with so little time that he's given on screen in the new series. An absolute crime. It is worse than Jack the Ripper's rampage through Whitechapel in the late 1880s. Paul McGann should be given at the very least, very least a miniseries, six part, eight part, because if, if Russell T Davies is going to do his whole universe thing and spin off here and spin off there, I don't want him involved in any animation again. I want to see him doing his best to avoid getting involved in, in, in the time war and being dragged into it, okay? Yeah. Such a missed opportunity. It is unbelievable that he's not, he's not in the series. Anywhere in Bad Wolf is listening to this, I'm trying to project through this little microphone through Russell T Davies, get Paul McGann back. Let's just all chant. Gans the man. Gans the man. So the plot was nonsense. It looked fantastic. I was really entertained. This whole not planning anything meant that a whole lot of fans were left bereft when the whole Doctor and Yasmin thing never came off. And and all through her run, I, I never really got a sense of her character. She felt a little bit like a, a cut-down version of Clara. You know, she, you know, Clara thought she could be the Doctor. Yaz does a little bit of that. You know, she take a note. She knows how to fly the TARDIS that way. But other than that, I didn't really get a sense. And it's a real pity because Amanda can, can clearly act... Now, I don't necessarily think that she was given enough to do. And as I said earlier, it was great that Dan got the heave home because there was just clearly too many people on the TARDIS. And it should have, you know, in theory, given Amanda a bit more to do. As for the regen, I thought it was good. I'm glad it wasn't the bombastic hang around for three years like bloody you know, David Tennant did, farewelling everyone left, right and centre. It, mm-hmm. it was small and poignant and, and, and really well handled uh, by Jodie Whittaker. And in a sense, you know, her final words, it's, it wasn't a selfish thing like the 10th, the, the 10th Doctor, I don't want to go. It was more like a, a handing on of the torch to the next one, mm. next Doctor, to the next incarnation. So, look, overall, I mean, if you're asking me, put a gun to my head and say, give us a number out of 10, I would say a, a strong 7 out of 10. Yeah, the plot's nonsense. Yeah, you know, things could have been done better here and there with some of the characterisation. But I think... As a piece of entertainment, I, I, I'm happy to go back to, back to it again and watch it again. And I'd put it up there with probably the top two or three regeneration stories in this era. It's clearly better than Matt Smith's Time of the oh, Doctor. No, that's not hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it. You right there, mate? <laughs> Is he on the floor? <laughs> Someone called Triple Zero. <laughs> what have you done with my Rob? You know what, what Mark? Now he's my Rob. <laughs> you two go and form your own bloody podcast. I'm off. Seven out of ten for you, my Rob, other Rob. If you had to score this, what would you give it? Yeah, I'd give it about a seven out of ten as well. That's um that's very fair, Rob. Hmm, very fair, Rob. What Mark would you give it, Mark? No, three. <laughs> How does it compare to Time of the Doctor? Oh, that was one. What about end of time? They've all been shit, apart from the Eccleston one, which is basically tacked on the end because he cracked the shits and left. None of them have been particularly good. But I do agree, though, with what Rob said in terms of that, that scene. Yes, it was well understated and it worked a lot better. But unfortunately for me, I just don't have that emotional connection with that doctor. So to yeah. me, she was going and everything like that and, you know, waving like Enya in the wind. That emotional distance does make it feel like there's a lot of lost potential. So much like with... um the Colin Baker era, it was, it was cut short before we got to see what Colin could really do. You know, and I think he says it in the most recent 22 collection Blu-rays when he's talking to Nicola, they say, we were just hitting our straps. We were really getting, we were figuring out how we were working as a, as a duo. We were figuring this out and we we're all ready to get into the next season. Uh, and it's, it still didn't really feel like that for me. I'm there going, I haven't really... You know, Jodie hasn't really explored any depth. She hasn't really played around with what you can do with a role like some of the other doctors beforehand have. And it was that sense of, yeah, we haven't really found out as much as we could have, kind of like with the Colin Baker era. We had to wait for Big Finish for Colin to really step up and give us the best audio doctor ever. Just thinking about the story now, there were, there were just some odd moments where I thought, well, this is a missed opportunity. I mean, when, when Kate Stewart is, is, um, is taking the master down to the holding cells, he turned around and insults her father and she just simply looks at him. And I thought, well, that was a prime opportunity to actually give her a, a character moment where she sort of retaliates. And punch yeah. him out, at least. You she know? could have said the same line as uh, uh, Nick Courtney did in The Five Docs. It goes, nice to see you again. Whack! 
I thought that was a bit crap, actually. He, he gave the old man a bit of a kicking, and yeah. So let's yeah. in that vein. Let's do a quick run around of some of the elements, and I'll throw up some, you know, actors' names, and, and then you tell me what you you thought of uh, how how they went. So uh, Janet Fielding as a returning uh, Tegan Jovanka. I think she did well. That's like I said, you know, I hate Tegan as a character, but I love I Janet agree. Fielding. I love Janet Fielding and how she's embraced the who fandom and she's and you know she keeps bloody peter davison in check in all those special features um but yeah i was quite surprised how well she did and for someone who was an actor for the better part of three or four decades she, she, yes. she handled herself well mark what do you think of uh Jennifer, i thought she was great as, as you said before i mean she hadn't been on you know tv for at least you know 40 odd years so i thought she her performance was um was, was fine okay sophie aldrin i thought she loved every minute of her time on yeah. screen yeah. Oh, she was frigging incredible. Yeah. She was yeah. just, she just shone so brightly. Like mm-hmm. I said, she was, she came across as a movie star, like the, just her, every shot of her, like, and even the fact the ace jacket is the exact same ace jacket she had when she was ace. She took it home and she's kept it safe for mm-hmm. 30 years. Yeah, and like she was a little bit flirty with Graham and put Graham off when yes. she was just there. Oh, for me, she was the uh, standout of all the old companions. She just her scene with with, yeah. with Sill, like um, like Mark yeah. said, was just beautiful. I thought she was ace. <laughs> she's a, surely she's allowed Emma there to be, you know, in one of the spinoff. Oh, absolutely, series. yeah. It's oh. a Letter Day Sarah Jane adventure. It yeah. has to be the Ace Adventures. We need the Ace Adventures. What did you both think of? The extended appearance of Peter Davison and Sylvester McCoy, particularly in those uh, latter scenes. Uh, Mark? Lovely. I thought they were really, really well done, actually. And uh, there was that little moment where uh, when Antigone says to the fifth Doctor, I miss you, and the, the sort of the AI hologram just stops for a second and actually becomes a solid yes. uh, image and he goes, oh, no, I missed you too, sort of thing. And that was really well done. The real emotional resonance for me was definitely the McCoy slash Aldred scene. Can't explain why. <laughs> As I said, I thought the era was crap at the time, but now I've got a lot more respect for them, and uh, I actually genuinely um, really, uh, really enjoy his Doctor, and um, and it's just nice to see him again. And the rolling of the R's, I mean, who the rolling of the eyes at McGann was was so beautiful. Yeah, and the robes, yeah, very well done. Yeah, I really enjoyed that as well. Uh, obviously, Colin couldn't have a scene. They could have probably got Mel in there, but then again, it would have been a bit too busy, wouldn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think the better way to do it, I'm Nicola back. Then you would have had to involve Nicola in the story and explain what happened. Yeah, and you could do it, but it, it, again, you know, you've got rid, rid, rid of Danta, clear some space. So probably best not to fill it up again. No, exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Davison is one of my favourite of Doctors. Um, like his relationship with Tegan, they just argued all the time. Um, I do relish uh, how they have a dynamic with Janet and Peter in the audio commentaries and the special features that they're brought in because there's an air of, oh, God, I'm probably going to get hate mail for this, but there's an air of smugness when it comes to Peter Davison within all the special features he does now. And so I really appreciate having Janet there just to tear him to shreds to (laughs) in some way try and make some dent on that massive ego of his. Yeah, for me, it was was a surprise. Like Mark said, I didn't expect to have that moment where Whitaker talks to all those past incarnations. So that was a treat for me. I went, well, this is cute. This is beautiful. Okay, yeah, we'll take it at that moment. And But then again, to have then a scene, I went, oh, great. Okay, Janet gets a scene with five and Sophie gets a scene with seven. Oh, wow. I was That was another little fan service kiss or French kiss, as you were saying, Rob, that kept on giving and just to, to deal with both of those relationships so beautifully. And, yeah, I did like that change when the hologram stopped and you got to see him in full form. And the mention of Adric was heartbreaking as well, just to get the heartstrings going. That was lovely. All right, and my last quick comment before we move on to our next segment. Who amongst us thought that the child sitting in that pod at the start of the episode was the timeless child? I, my heart skipped a bit. I thought he's not going to do this. I thought it was, and then they explained it as no, it was just the hologrammatic image of what that species does to get into the minds of people to show them what they see as helpless to be more inclined to help them. Yeah, I did a bit of stealth editing around all that, and there was more timeless children stuff in there, and uh, that was a, a nice cut around. Came up with that explanation for it. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Rob? I honestly thought it was a timeless child reference. I thought I thought that was you know. 
that time was trial and Chipler was going to finally address it. If it was a bit of creative editing at a later date, it was mm. very well done to have sort mm. of worked around it. But in a sense, I'm glad that they didn't go back to the time of trial. Look, I'm old school, so I'm probably more conservative in what I like in the show. And uh, that aspect of what Chibnall did, I, 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 just, I can't just go with it at all. For those fans who had built themselves up, I mean, there's all those fans about, you know, with Tamsin and all those fans with the timeless child and the, what happened to the fob watch. I mean, that was all left off the table. That, that was, none of that was really, really, really addressed at all. I can understand their disappointment. And the Fugitive Doctor stuff, it was great. Um, I haven't really been enamoured of the the Fugitive Doctor as much as other people have, but Joe Martin's appearance in this was quite cute. But they again, that was another one they just abandoned and just didn't do much with. And it's a shame we won't get to see more of Joe Martin unless you want to purchase the Fugitive Doctor Big Finish audios that will be coming out at some point. 22 but- said he said, they could have got Paul McGann to do that scene. McGann could have done all of it. The petition starts now. <laughs> to wrap this up, both Robs gave it a seven. I've gave it a three. Looking forward to see what happens in the 60th yes. and beyond. Now, the news came through over the wires that Bad Wolf has signed a distribution deal with the Disney Plus streaming giant, uh, Metal Mickey, so that all Doctor Who for international audiences will only be available on that platform as opposed to their usual, and I'll use the word quotes, home. In particular, here is the ABC Australia. There's been a flurry of uh, activity around this, lots of opinions. Were you guys surprised when you heard the news about this alignment with the Walt Disney Corporation? I've been hearing rumblings of it online for the last a couple of months after Russell T was announced as coming back. There's a lot of things connected to this, you know. Uh, the BBC, as we know it, has been slowly eroded by the Tories, the Conservative Party in the UK, and they've been driven by the fact they don't want to make BBC exist anymore, really. They don't think that people should be paying their licence fee to, to watch the BBC, and so therefore that's the only way they get funded. And so they've been slowly eating away at it, so more money's been cut off from the BBC and to the point where in 2027 the licence fee will be dropped and therefore the BBC as we know it will be gone. I think a lot of that has played into the Chibnall era as well with the lack of money, lack of time, along with a lot of other things, but that's certainly been playing under there. So for Russell T to come in, swoop down and go to this modern way of doing television, which is, or streaming services, make their own content. But what they do also do a lot is, is bring in independent companies who've got backing and support from other organisations and just buy the show off them so the independent companies fund it themselves. And so this is what Russell T is good. He's come and taken our beautiful show and said, let me look after it because I know its home is not going to be a home anymore in a few short years. And so then Bad Wolf will pretty much become the home of Doctor Who from now on. And therefore, they have that freedom to open it out to other distribution companies. And when it comes to a family-friendly streaming service, there's nothing more family-friendly than Disney, despite its views on certain inclusivity and diversity and all that type of stuff. But it does mean our access to who will shift and will change. But who hasn't been the easiest show to watch on streaming platforms, you know, unlike if you're an old dinosaur like me who loves the old physical media and still has all my John Pertwee VHSs. It's that case of I can watch any who that I want. I just go over to my shelf. But for those people who don't have that investment, it's a struggle because here, if we want to watch classic who they've got it on BritBox, but not all of them. And the quality is quite low. If you want to watch modern stuff, some of it's on used to be on Netflix. Some of it's on Stan. It's a bit of a mess. And so, And again, it's not clear how much is going to be on. We know that they say from November it will be going on from, I think, the 60th anniversary stuff. But we don't know if that will develop into having all of the modern season or will it have any of the classic stuff. So that's rights and distribution. It's always been a murky field and now it's even murkier. And it is a sad day when, you know, relationships have been there since 1965. And a lot of us, that was our main way of watching 
who in Australia was the ABC to have that come to an end is, you know, it's a, it's, it's definitely a moment to, to pause and, and, and be a little bit sad about. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually made big news over here, actually. I was just looking at the uh, one of our local well, sort of newspapers, just reading some of the comments in there. And these aren't people on Twitter. These are basically, you know, they're not we, as it were. Um, <laughs> they're all saying, I'm shocked to be frank. It's an institution. Watch it in black and white. Forget the budget. This is the bad news of the day. Screwing over loyal fans and greedy interests of making more money. After decades of the show being available to all, let me watch my Disney subscribers. What are the BBC thinking? My view is obviously that emotional attachment where, you, as you said, Rob, we watched Doctor Who on the ABC. It's always been there. And even with, with the later series, you know, we sort of, you know, liberating its copyright over nefarious means, you get up in the morning and watch it on iView. There's the other thing about, you know, it's perceived to be free, even though we pay it for indirectly through our taxes and everything like that, where now we're basically to stump up the cash for a streaming service. And of course, I, mean, I sort of made a comment on Twitter today that there's two things around this. Obviously, with cost of living pressures, people, are they going to be able to access the show legally through a streaming service or will they go around nefarious? means and getting it and hopefully won't leak like bloody last episode of uh, House of uh, Dragons <laughs> did. And the second question is, yes, what to do with that awesome back catalogue? Because really, you obviously get the new series on there, but you also want to build that history up and say, oh, well, this is reference here. I'll go back and dip in. And having them in one spot is obviously A, convenient, and B, it just takes the the hard work out of finding it. But as you said, it's on BritBox at the moment. I think some of it's on Amazon. And there uh, are some select classic stories on Stan as well here in Australia. Yeah, okay, yes. And I do remember they put the Sea Devils on iView as well at one point just for a summer celebration. I can't remember what it was. But, yeah, it's a very sad day, obviously, from an emotional you know, resonance point of view of, uh, of the ABC not showing Doctor Who anymore. But, um I am concerned that it might leave some people behind. Obviously, just watched it, you know, not even necessarily an iView. They might just catch it up on regular TV or... But if they've gone into this deal with Disney and part of that deal is to um, have a platform and have the content on that platform, then it's the way of the world, isn't it, really? And then the question is also with the DVDs. So, you know, obviously this, the new series, the DVDs, he'll be distributing them. Is that still going to be the BBC product? There's a whole lot of things that we can speculate on. I mean, this whole Disney thing then, was that the reason they killed the animations as well? Because they knew this was coming up and they said, we don't want that sort of perceived quality we'll you know we'll do something different with it or it'd be great if you're going to put missing episodes on that platform wouldn't it watch that subscriber base drive up to the heavens all i'm saying is if find the six episodes of uh of the space pirates oh it'll be a beautiful home on disney plus what about you rob like you guys, it is, you know, somewhat sad that um, a show produced by a public broadcaster and screened here in Australia by a public broadcaster will no longer, will no longer happen. I mean, you know, 50 or almost 60 years actually here in Australia on the ABC. So that, that in and of itself is, is a change that a lot of people, I think, as Mark said, based on, you know, media, comments from the media, will find difficult. But a couple of things come to mind. I think this ensures the show's longevity well into this decade. I think that with, you know, the Sony money and the money that comes from the distribution from Disney and whatever, I can't see Doctor Who coming off the air, you know, anytime soon this side of 2030. I think that it also, you need a, a global brand like Disney to see Doctor Who rise to the global brand that it probably this is an opportunity for the show now, I think, to penetrate markets that it may not have been able to do so at all, particular broadcasters in around the world haven't have never shown it or in a, in a sort of in, in, in different manner. So, I mean, you know, you, obviously the subscriber base for Disney Plus is enormous and it's in places, I think, that, you know, Doctor Who may never have been seen or not seen on a consistent basis. So I, I think the nature of how the show is viewed in coming years, it, it is going to change as you have different people uh, experience it for the first time or on a consistent basis. So from that view, that perspective anyway, I think that's that's quite exciting. I mean, I think overall, this is, this is just the way of the future. You know, terrestrial television, I think, to a great extent, outside sport, is waning. We, we, if you keep an eye on the, the ratings figures here in Australia and obviously, you know, around the world, terrestrial television, you know, general broadcast television has, has fallen quite away. That's not all to do with streaming. That's just to do with, you know, the rise of the internet uh, diverting eyeballs away. And for, for, for a show like Doctor Who... This does ensure its longevity because it's it's going to be available to more people in more markets for, for far, far longer. Would I have liked it to remain on the ABC? Sure. It does allow the greatest number of people here in, in Australia to watch it without having to go to the hassle of, of, of signing up. But on the flip side, as you intimated, Mark, 
there are other ways, you know, legal ways. I mean, I'm sure they'll be selling DVDs and Blu-rays for as long as they're available. And while I would never advocate piracy at all, you know, clearly people have been for many years obtaining new series episodes that way because their broadcasters, you know, just haven't picked up the rights. In a sense, uh, providing it, you know, through through Disney Mag to drive down you know, a, a legal downloads because more people will be able to, you know, find it and and, and acquire it that way. But uh, look, I think it's exciting. I think it ensures the show is, is going to be around for a long, long time to come. I think it's inevitable. I mean, with, you know, Russell T Davies, and I think that if there's, you know, shed loads of money coming in, this ensures that he's a dream uh, of, of an expanded universe for Doctor Who uh, will come to fruition. I can see an Ace series. I can see, um, again, you know, a series of McGann miniseries. You can see any number of spin-offs, animation, uh, you know, children's television, so some, some or adult fare coming along that the BBC, with its particular state that it finds itself in, could, just couldn't afford to do, couldn't justify to do, because they've got responsibilities for other types of broadcasting uh, uh, domestically and, and, and you know, throwing more money at Doctor Who to do a spin-off that 500,000 people in the UK might want is not justifiable. But in the streaming era, yeah, especially with what Disney's been doing with the, um, with the MCU and, and Star Wars, uh, the sky's the limit, I think. The sky is the limit. But the interesting thing with Star Wars is obviously they've got the back catalogue there as well. Like you can go watch Empire Strikes Back and, and the prequels and the sequels and everything like that. So really, I think for that expanded universe to work where you can watch the you know potential ace adventures, let's go back and watch Happiness Patrol, God forbid. That'll mesh it all together. And I really liked, actually, the announcement with the shooting was fantastic. The way he was just talking about the program and he was enthusiastic. It just came across that, yeah, this is a whole new thing and I'm really excited about it. Yes, this is the way that's going to go happen and go forward. That's the great thing about, from what yeah. I saw of it, it's, it's just wonderful. It's infectious in a way. And a great view of who that we haven't seen. You know, he always referred to uh, the Doctor as they. And when they asked him, where would you go? He said, Africa, and have the Doctor encounter the, the gods of that culture and stuff. Mm. You're going, that's amazing. That's a whole view of the world of, of life that, will open up uh, so much. And Doctor Who was the early years, it was an educational program to open you up to other cultures, you know. So even though it's a contentious era, you know, the great stories uh, that I really liked within the Whitaker era with like Rosa exploring the Rosa Park story or Demons of the Punjab explaining the separation of India and Pakistan. So that type of stuff, you know, that continuation of showing history and life and cultures more than just, you know, um, what a lot of us have, have grown up on. And that was really exciting. It was not done in any other way that this is what my life is and I want to bring that to to who and who's such a flexible, malleable uh, franchise that's a wonderful, wonderful uh, gift that Shooty is bringing to the show. He could have gone for a well-known name, uh, you know, a leading white actor and, and brought that, but it would have just been more of the same. But mm -hmm. I mean, in seeing and stepping outside, in thinking outside the box rather, he basically just sort of hums with energy, uh, Shuri Gatwa. And he's, like I said before, his enthusiasm is, is infectious and that, that smile of his just lights up a room. Choosing a young black man to be the doctor, as you were saying, Rob, opens up a whole new vista of opportunities in terms of storytelling, uh, in terms of you know, how the audience uh, relates to the character. I was enthused when he was uh, chosen and announced uh, last year. I had a couple of wobbles recently. Yeah. Looking at that video, I am as excited about this, the future of the show uh, as I've been, you know, in the last five or ten years. I think he will hit the mark dead centre. One thing with that video, and if I compare that to, say, five years ago where Jodie Whittaker did a video, I think it was for a magazine, where they're going through all those questions and, and she was responding to what people's comments and, and things like that. And I know at the time, look, you know, fandom was very divided with the announcement then. And that video certainly didn't help. And some of her comments around the series and what they're going to do to change it sort of put a lot of people offside. Where this one is a complete 360. It's like, yep. We're starting afresh. Come along. I love his accent. Bit of a Scottish burr there, but something And else. I've never heard the TARDIS pronounced that way before. Each doctor has their way of saying TARDIS. And I've, the way he says it, I went, oh, I've never heard a doctor say it that way before. That's going to be very 
cool to hear on a regular basis. How will he pronounce Metabilis 3? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure RTD would have got him back in the ADR unit to fix that up. I don't know how Moffat still missed it, but anyway, <laughs> it's very exciting. Well, they say it's a mixed emotions and a heavy heart that uh, Doctor Who's home in Australia has been um, moved on. Let's see what the, the future brings. And what do you think of the new logo, the new old logo? It makes sense to go back to that sort of classic. I mean, look, I'm no graphic designer, so I can draw stick figures like everyone else, but... I mean, I think it looks solid. I think it it, it stands up. I think it's it, it 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 draws the eye. And as a brand, as a as a as an image, you know, you take that over any sort of neon sign. And out of all the icons and logos for who, that the diamond logo is, you know, the most iconic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of modern and classic era. And someone said on uh, on Facebook saying, "Well, it is the 60th anniversary. That's the diamond." anniversary so go back to the diamond i went off yes very clever bit of time you want me there (laughs) i I honestly think that the show is in really good hands at the moment and for however long that itd you know has a hands-on uh position with you know with sony or bad wolf i i think that there are really exciting times coming ahead coming along not just for the main series but for whatever they decide to spin off um maybe i'm a bit pippy long stockings on this but I think there's good times are coming. Well, it's interesting, like we've talked about it in the past when it was first announced and there was a lot of trepidation about Russell T coming back and people saying, has he evolved and stuff like this? And there was an interview he did within the last week and he addressed that and beautifully. He said, you know, when he first did the show, it was all about pure escapism and one of his speeches uh, that the Doctor did, Eccleston did in the second episode, End of the World, about... You lot are always worried about, you know, dying or cholesterol or what that type of stuff. You never think about the fact you're going to survive, you're going to endure, you're going to go on. And he said he was happy with that in 2005. But me now in 2022, I'm there going, Doctor Who is not just pure escapism. You can deal with issues touch on it, but still keep that positive hope. So him as a writer has evolved and his view of his own writing from 2005 has changed in 2022. So he said, we can still keep that positivity and that hope of who, but if there is an issue, it should be addressed as opposed to just skimming over it with escapism. And there was this beautiful realisation that I just went, this is uh, the perfect writer to be in charge of Doctor Who at the moment, who is aware of what they need to do to evolve and change and grow. And so that, for me, I went, we're in safe hands, even safer than I than I thought even before. Back to the Disney deal for a minute. Another interesting thing for me, I'm very interested today uh, about <laughs> Doctor Who, which is a bit, bit random for me at the moment. I even sat down and watched Spotable Snowman Part 1, reconstruction, not the animation, so I'm very interesting at the moment, is what impact this deal with Disney is going to have on current licensees and merchandising because really now Doctor Who's now entered the big league as it were with them with Disney and well companies such as say for example Big Finish and, and Doctor Who magazine and, and character options will their licenses be affected by major league partnership really isn't it really I, I don't I, I think I think everything's on the table now I, I think I it's all on the table I mentioned before they stopped the anim- is this the reason why they stopped the animations with this reboot as it were would they still want it big finish to to do or, you know all the audios of the old doctors I don't know but as, I, I think this is going to be even though they've had contracts sort of renewed and everything like that that's not literally Mickey Mouse money but there's real Mickey Mouse money out there now yeah exactly uh, and yeah you know, big finish could be bought out and brought in. I mean, it's got the established infrastructure and the and the goodwill amongst the fans, for instance. Bring it in to Sony or to, to Bad Wolf, rather, mm. and, and then do it that way. Um, mm. It may be that DWMs, you know, just just ceases because, you know, is there a, is there a place now in the digital world, in, in the online world, for a, for a physical magazine? I mean, does it just go digital entirely if, if, it, if it actually survives? I mean, yeah. these are the interesting things that I think fans may need to face in, in the coming months uh, about what happens to some of their favourite ancillary items that have spun off from the show. I mean, it could be that DWM in its last months, uh, for instance. Well, they have mentioned that this next issue is going to be a big announcement or, or a change of direction. So I do have a feeling that some things will be uh, cut 
might be good for some people's wallets. I, <laughs> they'll be channeled into something else. They'll be Kenner Doctor Who dolls or something like that. So, yeah, I <laughs> uh, do think there's going to be some casualties as part of this um, stepping up to a, a Tier 1 uh, organisation. And I think some of those sort of smaller, and don't take this the wrong way, cottage industries uh, like Big Finish, there'll be some impacts there. As we wrap it up, isn't it refreshing to have publicity news, to have any sort of news um, come out? I mean... Look, there, there may have been very good reasons for why Chris Chibnall, you know, wasn't, you know, willing to put himself in the public eye as much as you know, previous showrunners. We have definitely entered a new era of announcement after announcement after announcement, and you can just feel fandom just buzzing. Whether they like it or not, they're still buzzing. We've gone from Chibnall, who has been media shy and he hates any type of spoilers or hints, so he's just cut out all of that stuff, which is has a remarkable negative effect on the show. You've had Stephen Moffat, who's an awkward social beast, who's had to throw himself into the public eye and he tried his best to swim, even though he's one of the most socially awkward people there is. Whereas Russell T, whether it's natural for him or not, is a born raconteur and this wonderful way of he just knows how to sell and promote and he's charming but can be quite passionate and and sharp when he needs to be yeah. and and for him it's just it, it comes across as effortless i don't know how much work it is for him inside um especially because he dealt with so much you know tragedy in his personal life for him to come out of that and have this new life in the public domain again mm. it's it's just you know as uh, my friend uh and and comedy collaborator and doctor who fan David Dinner says, toot toot, all aboard the Russell T publicity train. Destination, Disney Station. Thank you for downloading this special non-canon edition of 42 Doomsday, where we basically broken our uh, first law of time. Thank you again to our very good friend, Rob Lloyd, for uh, joining us via seance to discuss this exciting news. Thanks for uh, joining us, mate. Really enjoyed uh, having you back on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure, mate. And what is happening in your sphere in terms of upcoming appearances where people can uh, gravitate to your work? Well, coming up in late November, we have uh, the 30th anniversary of Aussie uh, comedy icon, The Late Show. Uh, We're doing a one-off special, me and David Innes. Um, Our first show on the 19th of November is completely sold out. It's sold out in uh, three days. And so we have a second show, an extra show, on the 26th, Saturday, the 26th of November at 5.30 p.m. at the Butterfly Club, all tickets through the Butterfly Club website, where we celebrate that great institution, The Late Show, which really revolutionised Australian comedy back uh, 30 years ago and then um keep an eye out for 2022 the 60th anniversary of doctor who a certain uh improvised comedy show through time and space that we brought back last month will be appearing again so keep your eyes on uh the innes lloyd website for the return of a certain uh, improvised uh, adventure through time and space show. And I'll be bringing my Bandrel sock puppet to that uh, <laughs> event as well, mate, and I'll be appearing on stage as well. With The Late Show, uh, are you going to be showing uh, segments from uh, Potluck, which was a very bad talent show that was shown on midday in the late 80s, and it's appalling. But when I used to watch the, the late show, the, those clips used to have me rolling around on the floor. Oh, that was, that was so the, bad. Yeah, that, that was, was their terrible. iconic toilet break. We yes. will definitely be addressing um, yeah. some of the more memorable moments from that. <laughs> yeah, so like a, a highlights reel of the best the best segments, uh, the forgotten segments, where the where the cast and crew are now, and just um, and sort of like exploring what we do in all of our one-off shows, how the show got to where it was, and the legacy of of the Late Show, and what uh, how that's influenced um, not only you know Australian comedy culture and television culture and film culture, but also me personally, how it's influenced me to get into the comedy industry, and it was my first taste of what Australian comedy was and, and good so, Australian comedy as well exactly yeah. and, and it was just you know that live element was amazing and mm. um you know and you got to know the 
the performers as people as opposed to just like with uh, Fast Forward, they were just playing multiple different characters. You never really got a sense of them as people. No. But with uh, The Late Show, you kind of got this idea they're all just idiots uh, playing silly buggers. Great show. And that was on the ABC. Uh, again, that, it that, was. That, yes, that's not, a, that's not on Disney yet. It is a nightmare scenario before we go. So Disney, deal's done. ABC are searching in the bunker somewhere. Oh, all these old episodes of Doctor Who. Let's just burn them just to piss the BBC off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like yeah. to think like that, but Rob, but I do think like that. Don't manifest that type of stuff. Come on. Just before we do go, there is an interesting article uh, by Stephen Brook in The Age uh, about um, change uh, that's coming to Doctor Who with Disney distribution. Uh, he made mm. some very uh, valid points about um, what it says about um, public sector or public broadcasting funding. There are some interesting thoughts out there uh, from people who, you know, who care about you know, terrestrial television of course. And public broadcasting as well, which yeah. um, we yeah. all grew up on and we all have a fond spot for. And, you know, I know what I said earlier, but some things are worth keeping because they actually have value and I think public broadcasting certainly falls into, into that area. All right. <laughs> so, Rob, thank you very much for coming on again. It's always a pleasure to have you on and, and to have uh, your thoughts uh, elevate any episode that we're on. And it's sad that Mark... I couldn't fall into line with us on our thoughts about the power of the uh, doctor. Well, look, Rob, I definitely give this episode 7 out of 10. Oh, I concur. Get a room. <laughs> Remember, two Robs don't make it right. <laughs> like, like Tegan, uh, we've, we've let a coup or two this evening. So. And on that bombshell, I've been Rob. I've been Rob. And I've been bitter. You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.